All right. Good morning, Trinity Church. How you doing? Good to see you guys today. Um, my name's Todd. It's great to get to be with you. Uh, some of you are going, why, Todd? Why would you have to tell us that? Well, because you brought someone who doesn't know who we are, so I want to introduce myself. Plus, I didn't know if you could read. So um, let's do this. I have some housekeeping to do with you today. Open up your worship folder, if you would. I have a few things to share with you. First off, you'll notice you can get out your um, message notes. We are, like Paul said, we're kicking off a brand new series today. Going to be looking in the first chapter of James. We won't get into the whole book, but we'll spend some time in that first chapter. And if you'll notice, beyond the message notes are our home group notes. And so we've kind of combined those together. So for those of you in home groups that are starting up this week, that's where you'll find your discussion questions and just kind of kind of do that throughout this whole series and that's where you'll find those cues. Secondly, related to the Take 10 Trinity Prayer Initiative, just wanted to tell you very concisely, do it. Okay? Good. And lastly, take a look at this form. We didn't mention this yet. You saw this in your um, worship folder. For many of you were here a year ago when we did Advent Conspiracy, and if you'll remember during that time, one of the ministries that we were um, wanting to fund and resource was the San Bernardino Pregnancy and Family Center. And we did that again this year, and last year we brought items to very practically beyond the funds that we were raising, we actually brought things that they could use on a daily basis and just want to be a blessing to them and to the clients that they work with. Well, we took that idea this year and we kind of punted it a month later because next weekend is a weekend that kind of nationally evangelical believers celebrate a sanctity of life weekend. A weekend where we focus upon the fact that God has very clearly valued life that he creates, and we want to rally around that. Now, the way that we want to do that, I love the phrase at the bottom of our, the front side of this form, we want to light candles rather than curse the darkness. And we want to be known as a church that's like that. So the way we do that is the Pregnancy and Family Center, we want to resource them. So if you take a look on the back, there's a lot of great items. You'll notice they're all over the place as far as the types of things they need, whether it be office needs, things specifically for babies and children, things for moms, etc. So next weekend, if you would bring items to the plaza, just like we did last year during Advent Conspiracy, bring those things and we'll make sure that then the following week we'll get those over to the San Bernardino Pregnancy and Family Center. And we're excited to partner with them and be a blessing to them. And what a great way to be able to celebrate that weekend in a very tangible way of giving. So I want to encourage you, that's next weekend, Sunday, the 15th of January. Well, here's the deal. I wanted to start with today these very pithy words, I am getting old. Uh, partly because I had a birthday since I was with you. So did Bill. Bill's three years older than I am, and I love... Or, no, no, sorry, three days. <laughs> I just added a lot right there to you. That would not have been pretty. Three days older than I am, and I love reminding him of that. And uh, so we both had a birthday a little bit ago, but here's where I realized that I'm getting old. I had to go to the DMV and get a new license. Now, I had, like, you've been getting them in the mail. That's great, no problem. But then I had to go in, and all I had to do was physically present myself sign something and take an eye test. So I get up there and just like even our, our visual for our series introduction has just the typical eye test, I'm looking at letters and I'm, I'm truly struggling to make them out. They're, it's like hieroglyphics and I'm starting to guess. P, I don't know, D, I don't know. And, and for the very first time, I can't see that chart. Now, some of you are like, Todd, that is getting old, and it only gets worse from here. I don't want to talk to you, okay? 
But I realized that. And so just a simple eye test all of a sudden became this intense struggle for me. I was very uncomfortable. I started sweating. I didn't know what to do. And I think the guy at the end of the day was just very gracious and let me go on my way. And I'm driving legally, just so you know. Um, But here's the deal. It's one thing to struggle with clarity when you're taking an eye test. It's another thing to struggle with clarity when you're going through very challenging circumstances and you don't know what to make of it. We begin our series called 2020, looking at the first chapter of James. And in the very first words, we're going to see that James is going to offer something to his readers that is going to provide them great clarity. What we're going to find throughout the book of James, this is a series, by the way, that if you have people in your relational world that you've thought about inviting to church, now's the time. Because we're going to talk about things that guaranteed intersect with their life and things that they're working out and trying to figure out. And today is one of them. Is there purpose in pain? And right out of the gate, James is going to give us some incredibly helpful stuff. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front from the beginning, James is not going to try to solve the trial that you're in. James is going to give you clarity so that you can understand what God is doing in it. And that's going to be the piece today that we're going to walk away with. So if you have your notes out, ready to go, we'll kind of dive in together today. The question we're going to be looking at today, is there any purpose in pain? And we're going to find a healthy dose of perspective that can be so helpful in the midst of difficult, trying circumstances. For the longest time, I don't know if you were like, this is what it was like for me. For the longest time, I felt like pain was something that could be avoided. I grew up in a relatively sheltered home. I had it relatively easy growing up. So I thought pain was an if thing, not a when. And, and for the longest time, I would just wonder, God, if I just wasn't in that place at that time. God, if I just wouldn't have had that conversation, God, if I could have just avoided this scenario, I wouldn't have experienced that pain. And the reality is, is that I didn't understand that God is sovereignly putting painful things in my life with purpose. It happened on our move up to Oregon. We were a young family of Joanna and, and Jackson and I. He was only four months old. And in that sequence of moving up to Oregon during that time, we just went through at that time, which were like, you know, up to your, the top of your nose, struggles and trials. And we're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? And it was then I stumbled upon James chapter one and really began to find something that for the first time helped me really understand that God is up to something. So I am so excited to share these words with you today and dive in and see what God has for your life. The fact that God is sovereignly, not just in control, but doing something strategic to grow you and to grow your faith. So let's dive in. The first thing in your notes, notice I didn't even put any blanks because I didn't want you to get it wrong. God's purpose in your pain is to develop perseverance so you'll be prepared. Today's message is brought to you by the letter P, okay? (laughs) Lots of alliteration, but here's the point. God is purposeful in your pain because he's up to something. He's developing perseverance so that you'll be prepared. Number one in your notes, your perspective of your pain determines its purpose in your life. Your perspective of your pain determines its purpose in your life. Your Bibles are open. James chapter one, verse two begins this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, before we go too far, let's back up and at least be introduced to the author and the audience of this letter. Back up to James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. 
The New Testament has a few different Jameses that we come in contact with. This is the James who is the half-brother of Jesus. Imagine your whole lifetime growing up with the Son of God, and watch this, and not even believing he was who he said he was. It wasn't until after Jesus' earthly ministry, it wasn't after his crucifixion, it wasn't even until after his resurrection that James and his other family members finally said, you are who you say you are. And James began, became a leader in the Jerusalem church. It was growing not just by dozens or hundreds, but by thousands. And that church, as it was growing, James was part of the shepherding team over it. That church would be scattered under some new persecution that began with the stoning, the martyr of Stephen, one of the early church leaders, and the church split, the church spread out. And so it's to that group that James had previously given leadership and shepherding to. They're now spread out over the nations, and James is saying, hey, I want you to understand that God is purposeful in the pain and the persecution that you're going through. Now look back at verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That phrase, consider it pure joy. I want you to pause this morning and, and process this for me. When was the last time, when was a recent time that you experienced joy? Think about that just for a moment. That you, you walked in something that you would just say, God, this elicited joy in my life. Maybe it was the fact that your child um, accomplished a brand new task. They've hit a new milestone, and you just felt this great sense of joy about what God's doing in them. Maybe it was a vacation that you went on, and it was the places that you saw or the things that you did or just the fact that you got to sleep in. And you just thought, God, this is joy. Maybe it was the fact of what God has been doing in your life. Maybe there's something very powerful that he's moving in or in the life of someone near you, and it just elicited joy in your life of what God is doing. Think of one of those. Think of a recent time that you experienced joy. James tells his readers that the same opinion, the same perspective, the same attitude that they would have about something joyful is the same that they ought to have when they go through something very difficult. So as you consider the milestone of a child reaching a new point, as you consider and think back to a vacation that was so rich, as you think back to something that God is doing in your life or someone near you, in that same expression, in that same attitude, have joy when you have a demotion on the job. Consider it joy when you get in an accident with an uninsured motorist. Consider it joy when you're dumped by your boyfriend. Consider it joy when you need to have a biopsy performed. Consider it joy when you're a teenager hearing that your family's going to move. We experienced that in my house not too long ago. These are all things that James directs his readers to consider anew, to think in a brand new way, to form an opinion, to develop a perspective of joy, pure joy, when we encounter painful experiences, just like the things earlier in column A, you had no problem thinking of those as joyful. Now in column B, consider these things a part of your joy. And you hear that like I hear that, and you go, what? 
Come on, Todd, are you kidding me? I mean, so what you're saying is when you're getting ramping up and you're getting ready to experience a new trial in your life, get out all the party goods because let's celebrate, it's going to hurt. And that almost seems so bizarre and fantastic to us. Like, who would ever expect that? And how could anyone even put that out there? Well, maybe a couple of things will help us. First off, the Greek word here for trials, we're going to find very interesting in this first chapter of James, is the very same word translated as temptation. Hmm. Same word. Trials in one context, temptation in another. That to me is very curious. So how would you know if you're facing a trial, something that's painful but meant to help you grow, versus a temptation, something that's meant to ensnare you and cause a different kind of pain? Well, it's all based on the source. In your notes, God introduces trials for your growth, but your fleshly lusts bait you with temptation for your destruction. We'll get to a whole week discussing this idea of temptation. Today, we'll see rightly... Um, uh, translated, this word is trial because we're talking about what God is doing, how God is using a growth tool of growth mechanism in your life. Secondly, the trials we're talking about today are many types. There are a variety. It's not a one size fits all, including the normal ones you might expect, as well as the ones you never saw coming. Some of you, for instance, the normal ones that you expect, you live in the real world and you know that cars are things that over time break down. Others of us, like me, are just weird. We think by putting gas in a tank, it ought to run till Jesus comes. (laughs) I get so frustrated when my cars break down. I'm like, wow, how, why? And you're like, Todd, it's a machine. It happens. Okay? That's a normal one we should expect. Others of us are in a season right now where our parents are getting older. We're beginning to care for them. That's just kind of part of the natural cycles of life. It doesn't make them easy, but you kind of can project and expect that they're coming. Then there's other ones that you never saw coming. You develop some kind of sickness that doctor after doctor after doctor cannot diagnose. You go out and pay good money to buy a Samsung cell phone and it instantly bursts into flame and you don't know how that happened. (laughs) Never saw that one coming, okay? And by the way, I'm not making a crack on Samsung phones. I own one, just hopefully not the one that blows up, okay? (laughs) Third, so varieties are, are many types. There's not just like one particular one we're looking at. Third, it's how you think about them. It's how you consider them your perspective on the trials that you're going through that is critical, as well as something you're entirely responsible for. Listen to those last words again. Your perspective, how you consider what you're going through is critical, but also something you're entirely responsible for. The very first word of chapter 1, verse 2, consider it, is an imperative verb. And every time we read our Bibles and we come across imperative verbs, they're commands, they're directives, they're meant to do. And God will not put something in front of you that you are unable to do. He gives us the grace and strength to do so. So an expectation that God has is that you and I would consider painful things through the lens of joy. An imperative verb that is not a suggestion, not a good idea but how are you to view the trials that he allows into your life? In your notes, your perspective is your responsibility. And you'll notice that's filled in because I didn't trust you to write it in yourself, okay? 
Now, if that's all that we had to say on this heavy topic of pain, was that you ought to consider them joyful in the midst of them, then this would almost be more of a message of burden than one of help and hope. But it gets better. Let's continue in your notes. Number two, your faith will not be productive until it's tested. Your faith will not be productive until it's tested. James chapter one, verse three, following suit, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let's start off with a couple of things. I find it very, very valuable to define the terms and not assume we all know what we're talking about. So in your notes, biblically, faith is defined as trusting God with what you can't see. Biblically, faith is defined as trusting God with what you can't see. So what we're saying is because the testing of your faith, James is talking about an entity, a reality in the audience's life that out of their trust in Jesus, they can do these things. He's rightly in chapter two, chapter one, verse two, called them brothers and sisters, a familial name. You'll remember back in our Ephesians series, series we talked about from the beginning that that the, um, as, as Paul was writing the book, he talked about this co-heirs with Christ idea that we have this unique connection with Christ and with each other as adopted heirs of God. So James is alluding to the same idea. Brothers and sisters, we are a family in our faith. It's our faith in Christ that joins us together. So faith is essential to this equation. Now, if you're here today and you have not yet put your faith in Jesus... You've not yet said, God, I am trusting you, trusting Jesus, your perfect sacrifice with my life. Then here's an interesting thing. As you go through this trial, as you go through the things that you're going through, there is nothing to test. There is no faith that is yet in your life putting that, your stock, your worth your hope in Christ. There's nothing yet to test. And here's the thing. A thing that's happened in our culture that we bought into is that, that phrase you hear so often, everything happens for a reason. And you can keep chalking painful things up to that phrase, but at some point, that phrase is going to wear out. Because it's just some kind of fake smile that you put on and the difficult things you're going through, and you have no idea why. And it will ultimately land you on your knees. But I want you to hear this today. That's not a bad thing. You see, if you don't have faith in Jesus yet, God is absolutely using painful things in your life to get you on your knees. The, the phrase that I often pray when I'm praying for people who haven't put their faith in Christ, and it's a, it's a challenging prayer to pray, but I pray, God, would you bring them to the end of themselves? Because that's where each one of us, you're not unique. Each one of us had to come to a place where we said, God, I'm going to stop trying to fix my life on my terms. And I'm going to let you have the control you've always wanted, that you were always designed to have. So in this reality, what, what is God doing? God is using trials to get your attention so that you'll realize that you need him first and foremost in your life. I told you when I was candidating that I quote C.S. Lewis way too much. Take a look. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences. Watch this. But he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So once you put your faith in Jesus to be your savior, here's watch this. God loves you too much to leave you there. 
Think of it this way. Think of what you knew, what you believed to be true about Jesus when you put your faith in him. For some of us, that was a long, long time ago. For others of us, it might have been last week. But the simple thing is this. What were the things that you believed to be true about Jesus as a child, as a teenager, young adult, seasoned adult, whatever it was? What are those things? And what are the things you know of him, believe him for today? Look at all that gap. Look at all the distance. God loves you too much to leave you with infant faith. He wants you to trust him for more and more things. And that's the only way it seems that we are willing to trust God with our life is when we have nowhere else to go and we look to him. He wants to grow your faith so that you'll begin to trust him for the next things. The next things you come to once you trust him for your salvation. The things that will help you become a person of influence. An intentional influencer in your relational world. A person of impact. Because people are watching your faith in God develop. Your ongoing growing faith in God will be a point of reference and encouragement to those that you're doing life with. Those who are watching you trust God through thick and thin. And faith only grows when it's put to the test. Think about that axiom. Faith only grows when it's put to the test. Not when everything's comfortable, not when everything's fine, but when it's tested. The Greek word here for testing is that of determining the genuineness or authenticity of something. So watch this. You can say that you have faith in God for lots of things in your life. For your family, for your finances, for your friendships. But it's when those things are put to the test. It's when you trust God when your kids are struggling. It's when you trust God when your finances are in the toilet. It's when you trust God when friends that you have in your life are looking to you for help because of self-destructive choices that they're making. It's when you trust God for those things and those people that your faith truly becomes a place of testing and growth. Honestly, I have failed that test so many times, and so have you. I don't mean the test of faith if Jesus is your Savior or not. I mean the area in which when he says, will you trust me for this? I have honestly at times many more than I'd like to count said, no, not yet. I'm going to put my hands in it. I'm going to do something that I can do to manipulate it. I'm going to stay in control. But whether it's once or twice or a dozen times that you and I fail in the same area of trusting God for something, there is a point. There is a point when we finally yield, we finally yell out uncle and we say, God, I will trust you for this. And it's when we do, when we do that we see him provide for us. We see him show up. You notice something amazing on the other side of that decision. You notice that God is faithful. In your notes, the only way that you get to find God faithful is when you need to put your faith in him for something. That's the way it works. If you're here today and you want to grow in your faith, but you're not willing to trust God for new things, let me say with great clarity today, it's not going to happen. That's how faith grows. I trust God for new things. You see, other people have great stories of God's faithfulness to them. 
The biblical narratives have great examples of God's faithfulness to his people, but you have no stories to share because you've not trusted God for important things in your life. That's how you get the stories. Once you begin to do so, you find God faithful and you gain. Remember, we've said that phrase before, even our first week together. That's what the Old Testament stacks of rocks, the altars were. This is where we trusted God for something. This is where God met us. We put a stack of rocks there to commemorate it. The process continues on and on. So what else does a growing faith in God produce? Watch this. It produces perseverance. It produces perseverance. The Greek word here for perseverance describes the tenacity, the ability to stand on your feet when facing a storm. In his commentary on James, uh, Donald Burdick, he writes this, it's up on the screen. It's in struggling against difficulty and opposition that spiritual stamina is developed. This is the way that I illustrate it that really helps me a lot to get my mind around what we're talking about with perseverance. It seems as though most trials that you and I face have some sort of definitive beginning. Not always, but most of the time, there was an event that happened, there was a conversation that was had, there was a diagnosis that was made, there was a statement you received in the mail, whatever it is. They tend to have a starting point. And when you and I engage initially into a trial, and I'm talking about those of us even who we'd say, God, I've trusted you for things before. I've seen you be faithful. You kind of get this attitude, you get this mindset of, okay, here we go. It's not necessarily attitude and negative, but it's like, okay, I'm going to strap in. We're coming up on a difficult season. And what you tend to do, what I tend to do is in my mind, I have a marker. And I say, God, this new thing that I'm about to engage, here I am today and here's the finish line. And God, I'm going to trust you. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be a walk in the park, but I'm going to put one foot in front of the next and I'm going to trust you for what I need from here to here and to walk with you. And you know, the interesting thing is the only reason you have this distance in the first place is because of all the other previous things you've trusted God for. When you're initially a new Christian, it's like right there. Okay, God, I had this horrible thing happen in my life. It's Monday. By Tuesday, I'd like it done. I'm trusting you for Tuesday, right? But as we go through a sequence of events in our lives, we begin to find that God is faithful, we can trust him, and our faith grows. And what you have is you have enough faith from previous experiences, previous times you've trusted God, you can trust him from here to here. And in your mind, this is the timeline, this is the finish line, this is when it's done. But God's finish line always seems to be out there. And here's the interesting part in the sequence. It's when you get to this cone and you have trusted God, you have put yourself in a position to say, God, as you play it out, I'm going to follow. But then you cross this line and you say, God, I'm done. I've got nothing left in the tank. I've trusted you. God, look at, I've trusted you from here to there. And I'm still not over it. I'm still not through it. And it's here as this walk or stride actually slows down and even becomes a crawl. This is where you grow. 
This is where perseverance happens. You didn't need an ounce of perseverance for this. You could trust God with what he'd done before. This is where it happens. And it happens again and again and again. And while that might seem on the one hand so dismal to you today to go, oh, so Todd, what you're telling me is God's got me on a sequence of steps of trusting him that just leads from one area of pain to deeper. So glad I'm here today. But I want you to see this. In this time right here, you come to know God You come to lean upon him. You come to depend upon him like you never would any other way. And those of you that are nodding your head, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance is the only way that we have the ability to next time even be able to have that initial Marker even out further because we know what we've been able to trust God for in the past. Track with this. Perseverance isn't the goal. Don't mistake that today. Perseverance is not the goal, but it's the means to what God wants to do in you. That brings us to our third point today. Number three today, finally, God is preparing you through your persevering. God is preparing you through your persevering. James 1.4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Look at the first phrase, let perseverance finish its work. That's again a second imperative verb. It's a second verb, let perseverance. It's you allowing this thing, this idea of that growth from here to here, let it finish its work. Stay the course, don't stop. And the reality is, is that because it's a present active imperative verb, it's something you do now volitionally and you keep on doing. In your notes, to let perseverance finish its work means you have a choice to make. It means that you have a choice to make. To allow perseverance, that's what comes as a result of of trusting God in the various circumstances and trials that you face, to let it do what it can do to finish its work in you that leads to a great end game. It's leading to something worth it. You being prepared for what God has in store for you. I've told you already how much I love what I call the purpose statements of the Bible. So that. Let perseverance finish its work so that. All of this. The choice to have a perspective of joy in the midst of challenging circumstances. The developing of a perseverance of spiritual stamina that you never had before. All for the purpose of being made ready. Of being prepared for what God has planned for you. But you already know it. The million dollar question today, prepared for what? What is God doing? What is this for? What is going on that I can't see? And here's the thing I want to be real honest with you about today. James chapter one doesn't tell us. James chapter one's goal is not to tell us. It's simply stating that the purpose of your pain is ultimately to prepare you for what God has in store, that you might not lack anything. I can't answer that for you today. And watch this. I can't even answer that for myself. I don't know what God is doing in the midst of the trials I'm facing today, what he's doing to prepare me for. I just know he's preparing me. What I can do is trust that God is up to something. 
and that he is purposely, <clears throat> purposefully using trials to grow me. I wonder if that sequence, right? I, I told you before I'm a child of the 80s, so when I'm going to reference really old things, that especially for our young adults were before you were born, just forgive me, but it's my world, okay? Um, so I wonder if that sequence in The Karate Kid, right? You go back that far, right? Early 80s, mid 80s. And uh, I remember that sequence, and, and I wonder if that sequence was not so much about Pat Morita, right? The, the instructor, as it were, and his pupil, Ralph Macchio, who later on would become a great dancer. Who knew? So in those things, I wonder if that sequence of, of what seemed to be purposeless, meaningless, painful chores, wax on, wax off, paint the floor, right? This whole thing. I wonder, I wonder if that was a lot less for them and a lot more for us of the fact that God is introducing things that to us seem purposeless, meaningless, yet painful, but is ultimately preparing us for the things that he has planned for us. You know, to beat up that snobby blonde kid at the Cobra Kai dojo, right? That kind of stuff. I wonder if that's what God is doing. So what he's saying to you in the midst of your trials today, trials that you would have never elected to endure, if you were given the vote, you would say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not putting the hand up. I don't want that. What is he doing in the middle of all that? What does he want from you today? Trust me. Trust me that you need to be prepared for what's coming, and this is the way I'm equipping you for it. We said earlier, the people in your relational world, they're watching. That's never meant to develop some sort of a Sunday school, put on this fake, phony Christian smile. It's never meant to do that. But they are watching what you're doing with the challenges. See, because they're in your life, they're not people from a distance. They know your kids are struggling. They know your finances are strained. They know the sickness you're working out. They know it. And they're watching you and watching you trust God, though not perfectly, yet consistently. That's one thing in, in unintended coincidence or unintended reality that God is doing in the midst of what you're facing. And what about those things? What about those things that you went through that were so brutal in the moment? And you would even shake your head afterwards, going, God, I have no idea what you were up to or why this happened literally only years later to interact with someone who's going through almost the exact same thing. It's happened to me and it's eerie because I realize I'm uniquely qualified to encourage them like no one else on the planet. These are some of the kinds of things that God is up to. What the Bible tells us we do know for sure that we might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's a a parallel passage to ours from James 1 today in Romans 5. You don't have to turn there, but look at the screen. Very similar language that Paul uses. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We consider it pure joy, same concept, because we know, we consider it, that suffering produces the same word, perseverance. Watch this. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. It's almost as though James and Paul are synonymously using the phrases being mature and complete with character and hope. Either way, that's definitely something that God is doing and what he's after. 
Hopefully you've been in the presence of those who are becoming mature and complete. Those who have gained character and hope. Being prepared to be someone that God can use in exceptional ways because of the trials that they've faithfully endured. And if you were to say today, you know, Todd, I really don't know anyone like that. Well, the good news is they're right under your nose because they're here at Trinity Church. I asked our ministry staff and elders, I don't have a great list of those stories yet in my short time here, but I asked our elders and I asked our, our ministry staff, give me some names and some stories that will help us connect that dot today. So here's a few that exude this idea. One of them is our own Mike Every. Mike and I both were up in the high desert. Mike grew up there. I, I was there later on. But Mike was the best runner at Hesperia High School, three years running from his freshman year through his junior year. And his senior year, just before track season, was in a motorcycle accident that's left him in a wheelchair ever since. Now you hear that and you only groan and you go, man, God, what an interesting change of direction. Maybe better than interesting, tragic from our vantage point. But as I was talking to Mike this last week and hearing his story, and he wrote it out for me, there are literally a, a whole a just slew of different things he would say, and this is what God was doing as a result of that. One of them even initially led to him coming to Christ. Mike wasn't a believer when he lost the use of his legs, but would ultimately put his faith in Christ. Mike is today a special education teacher, and he has a unique perspective of what some of his students face because of his own condition. And finally, what's really cool, Mike has been put on a path of making available a new kind of wheelchair that will become, be something enormously helpful to everyone everywhere. Mike knows that God is purposeful in his pain. Our own Allison Anderson. You've heard Allison. She's been up here as she's been hosting on certain Sundays. She's great, involved in our Micah House ministry. But she never dreamt that her marriage would end and be left to, both, to be both mom and dad to three young kids. And during the deepest valleys, she wrote this to me this week, she saw God's people become his literal hands and feet, and as her faith in God developed during a new season, watch this, of deeper dependence on him, look what the byproduct was, a new compassion and empathy for others who are hurting. This emerged that she would have not otherwise gained. That's Allison's perspective on Allison's life. Allison knows that God is purposeful in her pain. And our own Mike Lawrence, whose cancer journey you've been well aware of as Mike's been the chairman of our elder board. Here's how Mike sees it in his own words. I talked to Mike this last week and I said, Mike, could I just share the, the words from the Christmas card that you and Paula put out? And this is what Mike wrote. He said, as I pulled out all the Christmas boxes from the garage, my fingers began to burn from the neuropathy, leftovers from the last failed treatment. I admit I got emotional. I remember doing this last year thinking I'm probably not going to be here next year. Well, that's even more true for next Christmas. It's been quite a year, two failed treatments and lots of suffering, yet the cancer's progressing to my liver. I may not have long to live in this life, but what the Lord has given me is time, Three years in counting, a gift many do not have to prepare for their departure. As one who loves to plan ahead, it's been good. Putting things in place for Paula, working on legacy stories for the family, and working on wounded relationships that needed mending. What a gift. No, not perfect, that's after my passing, but some very, very special times with my wife, kids, and extended family and friends. 
This miser has even opened his wallet to make them happen. What are my parting words for you? Remember, this is Mike and Paula's Christmas card. First, don't miss the sun. It's his birthday, and you need to embrace all he did for you on the cross to live life fully now and eternally. Second, grab onto your relationships. For when it is all said and done, that is truly what's left behind. Mike knows that God is purposeful in his pain. Here's the thing you need to walk away with today. Just because this is God's design, just because God uses painful things to grow our faith doesn't mean that you'll get on board. Just having more information is not going to make the ultimate choice to consider to let perseverance have its way. That's a choice you make. And you can walk out of here today refusing to get on this journey with God by not considering it joy, by not continuing in perseverance, and by not becoming mature and complete. That choice is totally yours. But today what you do have is information. You do have clarity where you might have had muddy waters before. And let today, let this entire time today, this passage today, be bound up in your ongoing belief in the goodness of God, that he has our best in mind. Lastly, today, in your notes, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. God's purpose in your pain is to develop perseverance so that you would be prepared. Let's pray. Father God, we um, enter into some very deep waters today because we're not talking about theoretical suffering. We're not talking about academic understandings to the challenges that don't just happen to show up into our lives, but you orchestrate. That is a powerful reality to sit on because we know what we've been through We know what others in our lives have been through. But God, what we do today is we we bring that to you. We bring that reality of what we go through and the pain that we've suffered. And we say, God, if you're up to something, God, if you're after something in us, we want to join you. We want to believe that you are purposeful in our pain. We believe that you are only going to grow our faith through perseverance And that perseverance does have an end game. You're preparing us for things, but also to make us mature and complete, not lacking anything. God, we want to be those people today. If you're here today and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, remember the part in the message today we were saying, you really don't have a faith yet to be refined, but God is after something still with you. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to help you realize that you need a Savior. The great news is you can engage that decision right here, right now, by admitting that you need a Savior, admitting that you've lived life on your terms and you know where it's ended up. You can't do it and it doesn't work. The Bible calls that sin. Be believe. Believe that this Jesus we've talked about today, believe that he is the only Savior available that he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, and he was raised supernaturally on the third day. See is choose. Choose to follow him, to walk the path he's leading you down, knowing 
knowing that it's going to be so worth it, knowing that there's the hope of heaven and the full, rich, abundant life he has for you now. Father, we come to you today just so grateful for all that you are. Help us trust you this week and rejoice in the midst. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.